Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. I'm Christina Suzama, and with me is my wonderful co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, doctor's bag. <laughs> <laughs> greetings, Christina, and greetings, everyone else. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. Happy New Year, starting a new season. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman, and I will be your medical guide along with Christina as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy in search of optimal health. And today we're going inside the doctor's bag. So, yes, one of our favorite places where you can get through the nitty gritty. That's true. And I want to mention that there are going to be some visuals in this. So at the right at the top, if you are listening uh, while you're riding in your car or something, go back at some point and watch some of the visuals. They're pretty good. Mm -hmm. They're very good. Very good. Mm -hmm. And of course, I want to add that at any time during the show. If you have a question or comment, just simply scroll down your screen and type it into the comment box. Now, if you're listening listening to this on a device or a podcast, give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Okay, Dr. Woolman. Let's go, huh? Yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, well, first I want to take a personal moment, and uh, just for the beginning, not necessarily related to the show, but uh, this is ground control to David Bowie. Mm. Thank you for your creative genius. We'll all miss you. Lovely. Yep. Yes, that's another icon, huh? Another icon. Mm-hmm. I think there will be more. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's uh, the way the world goes round. And, you know, we honor all those who have graced our paths and our planet and influenced our lives. And we continue to move forward. And there will be more to come. Yeah. And he really did uh, influence our lives. Yes. So inside the doctor's bag... Uh, you know, when I was putting this together, I didn't realize until the end of, of looking at all the different segments we're going to do today, and it, it seemed like there was a common theme, and it's the Chinese element of water. You know, mm-hmm. the five elements, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we have this is the element of water today, and as always, you know, just because it says water, it could be a liquid of other types, and you'll see that. So one of the things that I think about on this show is that... Uh, we present a lot of systems of medicine, Western medicine, chiropractic, naturopathy, Ayurvedic medicine, uh, traditional Asian medicine, um, and they're all beneficial, but they're not perfect. So our goal, one of the goals on this program is to bring awareness and consciousness to health of the body, of the mind, and of the spirit. So in recognition of that, I realized that one of the things that's important is to give people more knowledge. And I'm going to start and inside the doctor's bag uh, to take people to junior medical school. Uh, so each time we're on here, I'm going to cover a, a different part of the body and some physiology, anatomy, and things like that. So I recommend everyone at some point get an anatomy book for the older people and for the younger people. Get an app, an anatomy app. Uh, just for your own knowledge, because I think when we always talk about medicine and preparatory medicine, you know, the thing that I love to talk about, it's important to have an understanding of the body. So I'm going to start going through different systems of the body and teach people a little bit so that you'll know a little more and it'll make a little more sense. And then when you start taking care of yourself, you'll have a better understanding. Mm. So we're going to start today with the cardiovascular system. Now, you know that I love cells, right? I always talk about the cells. That's where everything is. And cells make up tissues and organs. Tissues and organs make up systems, and systems make up the body. Mm-hmm. So if we look at figure one, it's the cardiovascular system. And basically, sometimes it's called the circulatory system, and sometimes people call it the cardiopulmonary system. Uh, that's when they include the lungs in it. But basically, it has to do with the heart and all of the blood vessels, which include arteries, capillaries, and veins, and breakdowns of those. So you could see in the picture, you could see just a bigger picture of, of all these. The reds are usually the arteries, and the blues are usually the veins, and uh, they're usually depicted that way because of oxygen, and we'll explain that in a little while. But this gives you a sense of how much of the body is covered by the vascular system and it's all pumped by the heart. Mm. 
and you can see where the heart is in relative to the whole body. Um, and if you have any questions, Christina, since you're the every person on this, I want to make sure that people understand it. So as we go through it, very mm-hmm. important for you to let me know if there's something you're questioning, because if you're questioning it, other people will question it, too. Well, as I, as I look at uh, this diagram here, Glenn, um, it has uh, – they must be depicting something because it's red and blue. Right. And, and so either they're trying to make the veins stand out because we know the veins aren't that color in our body. So, so there's a difference between the two colors, right? Yes, correct. And the reason is – part of the reason is, and we'll go through it a little more – in a few minutes, is the red are the arteries, and the arteries contain oxygenated blood in the hemoglobin, and the blue are the veins, and usually those don't have oxygen. So, in fact, they do, inside the body, look a little more blue. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, 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 but they almost run parallel to each other. They almost look like they're following the same pathways. Well, they do. They have to essentially follow the same pathways because the arteries bring blood to every part of the body, and then the blood has to uh, come back to the heart again, so they have to be almost exactly together. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Wow. But when they draw blood, how do they know which vein? (laughs) Well, that's exactly right. And most of the time, well, that's part of... uh, Does it matter? That's senior medical school. Oh, I see. (laughs) Okay. But but we learn, you know, there are different... Most of the time when we do draw blood, it is from a vein. But occasionally we do draw blood from an artery uh, for different purposes, for diagnostic purposes. Uh, but most of the time it's the veins and, and over time in medical school and nursing school and tech schools, uh, we learn where the most accessible veins are to make it so that uh, it's easier to get the blood. Mm. Mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So let's move on to uh, the uh, second illustration. And this is an x-ray. Uh, and I want to show the kind of the location of the actual heart. And if you see in the x-ray, you can see up in one corner a backwards R, and that signifies the right shoulder. So you're looking at a person. So on your left side, it would be their right side, and that's the way we always look at things anatomically uh, from the person, from the patient's point of view. So you could see there that the heart is essentially in the middle of the chest, and Right down the center is where the spinal column is. And you can see that most of the heart is actually on the left side of the chest, right? Mm -hmm. And you can see those two big dark areas. that Those are the lungs. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the heart is nestled between the lungs. And it's protected from the back by the spinal column and from the front by the breastbone or the sternum. It's also protected by the ribs. Those are those white kind of curly things that you see, not curly, but curved uh, lines that you see. And then below the heart, uh, you see those two domed areas. Mm-hmm. That's the diaphragm on each side of the body. Oh. And then below that is the abdominal uh, cavity. So the heart lies in the chest cavity or the thoracic cavity, and then the diaphragm separates uh, that. And then you have the abdominal cavity. So... Mm-hmm. This is just an idea of where the heart actually lies inside your body. So if you're doing CPR on someone, you realize that the chest, uh, when you're doing it on the center of the chest, the heart is a little bit more to the left of that. Mm -hmm. So any questions on that one? Just Mm -hmm. for the the idea of location. So we move on to uh, illustration three, which is an actual adult human heart uh, in a cadaver. And the heart itself is probably somewhere between 7 and 15 ounces. You know, could be uh, bigger than that or smaller than that, depending. And I want to say that as we go through this, every part of the cardiovascular system that we describe has functions and physiology, but it also has the ability to have pathology. So, and we'll try and go over a little bit of that just so that you can hear certain words so that if you ever get in conversations with your doctor or someone else, you'll recognize some of the words that come from the cardiovascular system. So the heart in length is about maybe five or six inches long. It's about three and a half to four inches wide. And it's maybe about uh, two, or two to three inches uh, in 
in its depth. Mm. Uh, it's about the, a little bigger than the size of a fist. Mm. And you see that. And the heart, when in the body, is covered by a double-layered membrane called the pericardium. And peri is around and cardium is for the heart. So it's this sack of tissue that the heart actually lies in. And I don't know if you've ever heard the word pericarditis. Nope. You've never heard that. Well, that's an inflammation of the pericardium. Or have you ever heard pericardial tamponade where that sack gets filled with fluid and it constricts the heart? And then it won't let it beat. And sometimes, actually, in the emergency department, we actually have to take a needle and go through the chest, try and find our way into that area and draw the fluid out of there so the heart is free to beat again. Um, the heart is a, it's a, basically, it's a muscle, but the muscle is called myocardial muscle. There are three different types of muscles in the body. We have the skeletal muscle, which... You know, it's the biceps, the triceps, the quadriceps, the hamstrings, the abdominal muscles. Those are all skeletal-type muscles, and these are things you notice under a microscope, the difference. Then you have smooth muscles, which are actually in the arteries uh, and in a few other places of the body, and then the myocardium. So that's a special type of muscle that the heart has, myocardium. And one of the specialties of that is it's ability to have a conduction system and contract. So it has its own conducting system where we have, it's up at the top of the heart, it's called the sinoatrial node, uh, and that starts, that's the pacemaker of the heart. And, and it usually has its own system to allow it to expand and contract, and that's what the heartbeat actually is. But ultimately, the heart rate and strength is controlled in the nervous system in the uh, midbrain. You know, you talk about the autonomic nervous system, right? Mm -hmm. Where things are controlled uh, before, uh, not by your alert conscious mind. It's controlled by the unconscious or subconscious mind. Because if you had to keep controlling your heartbeat every time, you wouldn't be able to have conversations and, and eat a meal at the same time. You'd have to do all of that. So up in the brainstem, uh, which is an extension of the spinal cord between the spinal cord and the actual brain is the brain stem is this one area in the midbrain called the medulla oblongata. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is where the, the actual heart rate and strength of the heart, it can slow down or speed up depending on stress and hormones and chemicals and excitement and things like that. So uh, the heart itself, let's... Let's take a look and, bef- and think about the heart itself. But as we have this beat, the heart usually beats in a lifetime maybe around 3 billion times. Uh, and every day it probably beats around an average of 100,000 times, and it probably pushes through about 2,000 gallons of blood throughout a day. Of course, you know, there are differences, so that's not totally exact. Let's look add illustration number four and go inside the heart. And what I'd like to do, I think the way to describe the heart the easiest would be to take a tour as if we were a blood cell, a red blood cell. But basically the heart is broken up into upper chambers, which are the left and right atrium and the lower chambers, which are the left and right ventricle. And between them is its own skeletal system. It has a septum. It's not made of bone. It's made of cartilage and muscle. And that separates the left and right side. And there are a number of valves in the heart uh, that uh, keep blood flowing in one direction. And that's partly the key to the whole circulatory system is that it always pushes blood only in one direction. And as problems occur the uh, different pathology occurs. So even in the beat that we talked about with the pacemakers, things happen in that part of the heart where people get different arrhythmias. You've heard of atrial fibrillation. Some people, a lot of people get that, uh, or slow heart rates or tachycardias, ventricular fibrillation. Those are part of the pathophysiology of of the conduction system. But in each one of these parts of the heart, you can get pathophysiology. So let's imagine that we're a red blood cell that's arriving to the heart and all the 
veins are the ones that bring blood to the heart. So all blood coming from the different parts of the body enter the heart through a vein. Mm-hmm. If you are uh, in below the heart, if you're some part of the body below the heart, you would enter through the inferior vena cava. And if you're above the heart, uh, somewhere in the head or up in the upper shoulders or neck, and you're a blood vessel up there, you would be entering through the superior vena cava. And both of those take the blood and land in the right atrium. And this is unoxygenated blood. And that's part of the key here. So it comes from the body, and we'll cover that again in a few minutes, but it's unoxygenated blood. It travels into the right atrium, and then it goes through the open tricuspid valve. And the tricuspid valve is a valve that uh, keeps blood from going back into the right atrium as it drops down into the right ventricle. And I'll explain that in just a couple of seconds. But you can have problems with the tricuspid valve. It could be uh, not closing correctly, or it can be uh, thinner, uh, or it could be stenotic or narrow, and so less blood comes through. But basically, blood enters the right atrium, and it flows right into the right ventricle. Mm-hmm. As the blood flows into the right ventricle, the right ventricle starts expanding through the natural volume of the blood. As it expands to a certain point, it sends a feedback mechanism to parts of the brain and parts of the heart that a beat is necessary so that the the right ventricle can contract and squeeze the blood out of the right ventricle. So as it contracts, it pushes the valves that are that are flopping down into the right ventricle. It pushes them back up and they close so that blood cannot go into the right ventricle. And the only way it can go is through the pulmonary valves into the pulmonary artery. Got that so far? I'm just looking at the, I'm looking for the pulmonary valves right now. Okay. Oh, I see, I see it. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Okay. So the right ventricle has this unoxygenated blood when it expands enough and the, and the heart muscle contracts mm-hmm. and instead of squeezing the blood up back into the right atrium, those valves close won't allow it to go through, and the pulmonary valves open and force the blood to go out into the pulmonary arteries. Got it. Okay, so again, arteries take blood away from the heart. Now, this unoxygenated blood goes into the lungs, and it goes through this fantastic process where it meets the alveoli or the air sacs and then through a capillary mechanism there's an exchange where all of the waste products that are in the blood like carbon dioxide for example that are picked up from the cells get exchanged into the into the air cells and all the oxygen and we'll go over this again in a few minutes go into the red blood cells and get picked up by the hemoglobin And that's where the breath comes in. So when you breathe air in, oxygen goes into the air sacs. And when the blood from the right ventricle comes up there, it sees the red blood cells. The red blood cells get rid of their carbon dioxide through a method of diffusion, which we're not going to discuss too much, but it just simply floats out there. And the oxygen floats into the red blood cells. And then it comes back into the pulmonary veins. Remember, veins bring uh, blood to the heart. But now you see the pulmonary veins are red, right? You can see them on the sides. Uh, I, hmm. The, the pul- pulmonary veins, are we, are we looking at the, your uh, image? I think this is... Yeah. We're yes. still looking at the same image. You see, the, you remember where you looked at the right atrium, the yes. right ventricle? Well, look on the sides of the upper heart, and you could see pulmonary veins. Yeah, pulmonary red. vein. Oh, because on, on what I'm seeing is they're yellow. Ah. That's why I'm like, hmm. I don't know why, unless you're looking at the former one, which was the cadaver. But maybe it's just... <laughs> Or maybe it's my eye. No, this I is the diagram that. that I've been following as you've okay. been talking about it. So <laughs> okay, the so pulmonary artery has the arrows of the blood going out, right. and the pulmonary vein has the arrows of the blood going back into the Correct. left atrium. Correct. Very good. But now you see that it's red because uh, this is now oxygenated. 
Got it. Okay. You got that? Yeah. So the blood from the lungs goes through the pulmonary veins, and they all enter on the left side of the heart now. So the right side of the heart is basically receiving blood from the body and pushing it up to the lungs. The left side of the heart receives blood from the lungs, the pulmonary system, and pushes it out to the body. So blood enters through the pulmonary veins into the left atrium, and again, you go through a valve, the mitral valve, and this is a bicuspid valve. The tricuspid valve on the right side has three valves, cusps to it, and the mitral valve. Medical school isn't easy, is it? No, it's like, okay. wow. But you've heard of the words like mitral valve prolapse yes. or mit- mitral stenosis. Well, yes. that's the valve. I got it. Right. That's where <laughs> it is. Now all these things are coming together. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's the whole purpose of Inside the Doctor's Bag today. Wow. So... Blood goes from the uh, lungs into the left atrium. Now it's oxygenated, and now it goes down through the mitral valve into the left ventricle. And when, again, the heart is beating and the blood starts filling up the left ventricle, it expands the ventricle. And when the muscles, the myocardial muscles, get stretched enough, it sends a message back to the heart to beat again and squeeze down. And when it squeezes down, it pushes the mitral valve up and closes so that blood can't go back up into the left atrium. And it goes out through the aortic valve into the aorta, which is the biggest blood vessel in the body, and it's the, it's the main vessel where the oxygenated blood leaves. You can see the aorta? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And you can see the aortic valves. When you hear people have aortic stenosis Mm -hmm. or aortic valve insufficiency or things like that, that's where the aortic valve is. And it pushes the blood through and it goes out into the aorta. And then the aorta goes throughout the body and breaks up into a number of different segmented arteries that feed the kidneys, feed the feed the skeletal system, feed the liver, the intestines, the bladder, every organ in the body and every cell are broken up into things like that. Mm. Does that make sense to Mm -hmm. you? Absolutely. So you've got the whole... This diagram is very helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, you hear of this, but unless you actually visually see it and understand the flow of how things are moving, it's like, oh, I, I I completely, totally forgot that the blood was circulated through the lungs right. to get reoxygenated. Completely, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the important part of it, and that's why a lot of people call it the cardiopulmonary mm. system mm-hmm. because the lungs are an important part of that. So it's all designed to uh, be a coordinated effort. The heart gets a beat; it keeps beating a number of times per minute, and it squeezes. It accepts blood in, and the ventricles are the ones that push blood out. The right ventricle pushes blood out into the pulmonary artery to go to the lungs to get oxygenated and get rid of the carbon dioxide. The left ventricle pushes the blood out, uh, and now it's oxygenated, and it goes out to the whole body uh, and and then feeds the blood, and then we'll go on from there. But you've got that whole system now. Yes. <laughs> as long as I keep this diagram up, I should be fine. <laughs> yeah, you should be. Uh, and I agree with you. And and that's the whole point of this. So interestingly, when it leaves the the heart, blood goes into arteries. Mm-hmm. And the first set of arteries that branch off from the heart, this is how the body is so brilliant, the first set of arteries, where do you think they go? That, that leave the heart after from the aorta, the branching parts. You know, I said mm-hmm. we have arteries that go to the kidney and to the lungs and to the brain and to every organ. Well, the first arteries that branch off are the coronary arteries because mm-hmm. the heart wants to get the best, most oxygenated and most instant blood possible. All the blood, all the blood that you have that's flowing through the heart, none of that goes to the heart. Oh, that's really interesting now. <laughs> right. So it has okay. to go out through the aorta. Yes. 
And then the first branches of arteries that come off of the aorta are the coronary arteries. And you've heard of coronary arteries. Someone had a coronary, the right coronary, or a blockage of this coronary artery, or you had to have, uh, you know, a graft, a a coronary artery bypass graft, or open up a clot in the coronary arteries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the very first arteries that come out of the aorta go back into the heart and go into the capillary system, which we're going to speak of. And then that brings oxygen to the heart muscle itself, and it gets rid of the carbon dioxide and then goes back to the venous system and then goes through the whole circulation again. Wow. Pretty cool. Really cool. I yeah. tell you, we're, uh, the human body is just a Fantastic. miracle in itself. I, yeah. I can it's, see why, why this is so fascinating to someone who's getting into medicine. It's like nonstop. Yep. It's, it's great like that. And it, everything you learn, that's one of the interesting parts about being in medicine is aside from the, being a healer and doing things like that, the knowledge database that you have uh, is all about the body. Mm-hmm. And it's fabulous. And that's priceless. Yes, yes. You know? So if we, if we now move, are, do you have any more questions about the inside mm-hmm. of the heart? For now, I mean, there's so much more we could talk about. Obviously, <laughs> we could spend. It would be all about the heart, <laughs> right? And, and, and then there, we'd be missing the water section. <laughs> well, this is part of the water section. Water is blood. Oh yes, right. Yeah. So that's the Chinese element. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and of course, there are specialists. You know, cardiologists. That's all they. That's all they do is the heart. So you've got this coordinated beat and this coordinated flowing system to get things moving. Let's move on to illustration five, which is a simple illustration, but it shows uh, the heart and it shows the main uh, blood vessel, the artery, the aorta. Now, as the aorta, which is an artery, it starts going through the body and the arteries go to all of the organs and all of the tissues and they are muscular. They have muscles inside of them. That's the smooth muscle that we talked about that allows the uh, arteries to contract and keep the blood flowing in that one direction. And then arteries eventually get smaller and smaller till they become arterioles. And then they get smaller and smaller until they become capillaries. And that's where all of the exchange is. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But then the connection on the other side is as the blood leaves the capillaries, it goes into the smaller veins, which are called venules. Those eventually drain into the larger veins. And those eventually drain back into the inferior vena cava or the superior vena cava, depending on if you're at the top of the body or the bottom of the body. And do you remember where the superior vena cava and the inferior vena cava entered the heart? They enter on the left side. On the right side. On the right, right? On the right side. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. If I turn it around. Okay. (laughs) That was the hardest. That's the hardest part of medicine to figure out which is right and left. And, And it still confuses me. But it enters uh, through eventually the large vein, the inferior vena cava from the lower portions of the body, the superior vena cava from the upper portions of the body, and uh, then uh, it goes into the right atrium, then through the tricuspid valve into the right ventricle, pushes up to the lungs, comes back into the left atria, down into the left ventricle, and pushes out into the aorta. And through the arteries, arterioles, and that that there is the cardiovascular and pulmonary system mm. in, in entirety. And if you take, interestingly, just to give you an idea of something, if you took all of those blood vessels, including the uh, arteries, the capillaries, and the veins, the arterioles, the venules, and everything, and put them end to end, it's somewhere you know, and this is the number that I read, it's about 60,000 miles. What? <laughs> really? Yes. So those those 20, you know, or 2,000 gallons that are being pumped through every day go through, if you put them end to end. Right, right. They would and go you like... Just actually it, string them out into one long string. one long string. It would be around 60,000 miles. So that's over... <sighs> That's over two times around the Earth. Wow. That's... How's, that? How's that for fun? 
That's amazing. Yeah, That's so the, amazing. Yeah, so the arteries are thicker walled and they have muscles in them. And you can feel the pulse of the artery. So you know about up in your neck, the carotid artery down in the uh, wrist, the radial artery. I think we discussed this once in an Inside the Doctor's Bag when we went over vital signs, how to take pulses. Yes. Et cetera. And then we had the femoral arteries. There are arteries all over your body. And when you take the pulse, when you put your hand on the fingers and feel the pulse, what you're feeling is that that left ventricle is building up enough pressure to force the aortic valve open and push the blood into the aorta so that it goes throughout the body. And then when it, so that's when the heart contracts when it expands you don't feel that it's the contraction that you feel and the amount of pressure needed to open up that aortic valve is the systolic pressure so when you take somebody's blood pressure it's the systolic over the diastolic right the, yes. the top number over the bottom number yes well, the systolic pressure when someone says it's 120 millimeters of mercury 120 over 80 Yes. The 120 is the amount of measured pressure that the left ventricle generates to open the aorta. And the aortic valve is closed so that blood doesn't come back into the heart through the, through the artery and going in the wrong direction. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And the diastolic, the lower number, is the amount of pressure in the heart when, the, when it relaxes. So you have expansion and contraction, and, and so when you're feeling the pulse, it's, it's that pressure pushing the aortic valve open and making the blood go through the aorta and all the other arteries. So that's what you're feeling. Yeah. And in medicine, when we learn how to use a stethoscope, for example, and put it over the heart and listen, we know the way that the heart expands and contracts and the beat and the way valves open and the timing of a valve opening and closing and all of these things. And each of them can make sounds. And when there's normal uh, physiology, they make certain sounds. When there's pathology, that's when they make different sounds. And that's when we hear murmurs. Hmm. So when we're listening and feeling the pulse and timing the pulse with the murmur that we hear, we know that when we feel the pulse, the ventricles contracting, the left ventricle and the right ventricle contracting, um, and we hear certain noises, that could represent a mitral valve prolapse because we're hearing the valve cause a flutter in the normal perfect blood flow. I see. Okay? Now, the veins... The veins are a little bit different. The veins don't have muscles in them, and the veins are a lot thinner in their wall than the arteries. But the veins have valves in them, and the valves keep, again, the blood flowing in one direction. It picks up the blood from the capillaries, and it's moving it back to the heart. And the blood is not being pushed through the veins by the veins. It's just being pushed by the, by the flow of the strength of the ventricles and the and the arteries squeezing down does that make sense to you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay yes. so again you can have things like an inflamed artery or an arteritis or you can have a vein that loses its valvular function and that's when people start getting swelling in their legs and their ankles because it's fluid is backing up and leaking out you can get a phlebitis which is an inflammation of a vein you can get clots in the veins, and that's when you get uh, blood clots, thrombophlebitis. That's that's a clot and an inflammation. Got that? Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't know how much of this I can remember, but yes. Well, I'm test. following. There will be a test at the end. Oh, great. <laughs> so now I talked to you about the arteries, and I briefly went over the capillaries, and then I went to the veins. But I want to talk about the capillaries for a minute. Okay. And if we go to illustration six, this is very important. Now, in history and philosophy and literature, we all talk about the heart. The heart is this uh, vessel of compassion, and it's the vessel of love. It has metaphors for all of these types of things. The heart has its own 
a sutra in the Heart Sutra by the Buddha. The heart has its own chakra. The heart has its own uh, meridian in Chinese medicine and has acupuncture points. But for me, the real important part that should get all of the all of the fame is the capillary. Or as you probably say, you were you were raised through an English uh, system of teaching. It's the capillary, right? That's how we, I was brought up saying it. That's why when I ever read it here, I'm like very stumped. So I'm, I've, have I learned it the wrong way all these years? Well, no, you learned it the way that the Brits say it. The Brits you know. do have an extra I, is that right? No, it's, it's just pronounced differently. It's not the capillary. It's the capillary. Okay. But, and we pronounce it <laughs> capillary. Capillary. So oh, I see what you're saying. Capillary. Capillary. So... so I would like it if, when I say capillary, you kind of whisper capillary so that you can, <laughs> the you, Brits in the audience will know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're going to be the translator. So they will understand. This is where it all happens. If we did not have capillaries, first of all, it closes the system between the arteries and the veins, right? Yes. Otherwise, they'd be just bleeding out. But the capillaries, <laughs> I want to say capillary now. <laughs> Uh, the capillaries are extremely thin and extremely thin-walled. Sometimes they're smaller than the size of a hair, which only allows maybe one blood vessel at a time to go to them. One blood, excuse me, one blood cell to go through the the capillary. Whereas in the arteries, the bigger arteries, lots of blood is flowing through. But by the time it goes through the arteriole. And into the capillary, maybe only one cell comes through. Now, remember, in the arteries, they, in the aorta and the arteries, that is oxygenated blood. And every cell in the body needs oxygenation and the nutrients that are also brought in the blood. You know, there's the vitamins that we eat and the foods and the proteins and the fats and carbohydrates are all coming through the blood. They would not get into the tissues and down into the cells were it not for the capillaries. We would not live without capillaries. If we just had mm. arteries that went right to the veins, nothing would get to the cells and the tissues and they would all die. So when the when the oxygenated blood finally gets through the artery and the arteriole and gets into the capillary system, every organ has artery, capillary system, and vein, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when it gets to the capillary system, all of that oxygen, those little oxygen cells that are carried on the hemoglobin, diffuse out through the very, 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 very thin-walled capillaries and go out into the interstitial tissue. And we talked about interstitial tissue and connective tissue and then into the cells so that they can function as a liver cell or a heart cell or a kidney cell or something like that. Mm. And when the cells are functioning, they're producing waste products. So they're producing carbon dioxide and other type of wastes. And that carbon dioxide goes in the other direction. It diffuses into the capillary and onto the hemoglobin cell, which carries the carbon dioxide into the venules, into the veins, and back to through the, the superior vena cava, inferior vena cava, into the right... Atrium, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, this is where all the action occurs. And you know that because I love cells so much, this is the most important part to me, the, the capillary part. The heart gets all the, the PR and the marketing, mm. but were it not for the capillaries, nothing would happen for us. Mm. The little guys. The little guys. Oh, so if you cut yourself and you see the blood spurting as if it was from a beat, it comes out in spurts, would you think you cut an artery or a vein? Ah, uh, oh boy. Uh, the veins bring the... Um, God, I wouldn't know because they're both running through the same well, <laughs> parts we, of the body. Yeah, usually... Uh, that's a good point. But and if then, you see it actually spurting, spurting that's it has a pulse. Right. 
then it would be an artery most of the time. The blood just kind of spills out from a vein or a capillary, whereas if you see an actual spurting where it pops and more and then more and then so more. So that's an artery. That's an artery because it's coming from the heart, whereas if you do it from... it's pushing out. Right. Okay. <laughs> so that's a little clue for you. If, so if you come upon someone that's bleeding and you see it spurting, you will start thinking you cut an artery. Most of the time, people cut veins, and that just pours out, or capillaries. You know, when they take your blood, uh, they there's do there's no a, rhythm is what you're saying. <laughs> no okay. rhythm. Oh. <laughs> right. Right. So I think that covers the uh, cardiovascular system, Uh-oh. basically. So do you have any thoughts on that before we move to something else? Oh, I just think it's uh, it's so amazing. I mean, how everything is... You know, a lot of times when, when we say everything is connected, this is truly brings us to the minute level of how connected. How connected. The and whole body is. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And every organ has that whole system going to it. Every organ has arteries going to it, the capillary system and the venous system to bring the waste back to the heart, clean it up in the lungs, and uh, go back out again. And this happens every beat. Wow. Fabulous, huh? That is, it is. It's actually amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I I love it. I love it. Clearly. (laughs) Hey, Glenn, you got to answer me some movie trivia. Yeah. Movie trivia. So if somebody gets cut on a vein, um, how long, typically, like statistically, would it take to bleed out versus if they were to be cut on an artery? Artery. Ooh, the arteries. Look. Depends on the artery and depends on how deep the cut, but you will die sooner with an arterial bleed than you will with a venous bleed. So, so assuming that they're, you know, similar size cuts, is it like five to one ratio? Like you got minutes to live if you cut an artery? Yeah, a bad artery. You got hours to bleed out of a, a veins? Yes. I don't know about hours, but uh, a lot longer from a vein. But again, you know, if, if somebody. If you're talking about a vein on, say, the forearm, it would be different than if you were stabbed in the abdomen and you cut your inferior vena cava, the Mm. bigger vein. The bigger one. So remember, there are small veins, and then they get bigger and bigger. So if you cut a small vein, and one of the things that will happen that we talk about is blood clotting. Normally, the blood will try and clot itself off so that it won't allow uh, you to bleed out. That's another one of the brilliant parts of, of the blood. The platelets in the body help. If there's a cut, if it's a small cut, they can go to that area. The, the body is warned. It sends platelets to that area. They start forming a clot. Other chemistry happens, and then a clot forms. But if somebody mm. is a hemophiliac, they could bleed out uh, fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay, one if more it, movie, Mythbuster. Oh, we're going to do a myth taken. I, well, I just want one more. So, if somebody gets stabbed or shot, yes, you know, with the knife point, right, are they more likely to hit? Just based on pure volume, are they more likely to hit a vein? Yes. Just because you said cuts on the surface are one thing, right? Yes. But when you start poking into varying areas, you're likely to hit veins. Just because there's more of them. More like veins and capillaries. Got it. Yep. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Now he's really going to watch for the blood spewing or not spewing. (laughs) It changed Segovia's entire life. So now we're going to move to a different topic, if you're okay with that. Absolutely. Elements and compounds. Remember at the beginning Mm -hmm. we talked about the Chinese element water? Yes. Well, in science, in Western science, water is not an element. An element is something that's made up of similar atoms, like sodium atoms would be the element sodium. Chloride atoms or chlorine atoms would be the element chlorine. Uh, Oxygen atoms would be the element oxygen. Uh, Does that make sense? It's one type of atom. When you mix atoms... They become compounds. So if you took sodium atoms and chlorine atoms or chloride atoms and mix them together, you would get sodium chloride, which you know as the compound salt. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. So if you take hydrogen atoms 
and two of them and mix them with an oxygen atom, so that would be H2O, that would be a compound, and you would know that as oxygen. water. Oh, water. water. Water, right? H2O is yes. water. Well, water as a compound kills more people worldwide than almost any other compound. Now, when I speak of water in that sense, I'm thinking of your favorite in terms of a tsunami or a hurricane or a monsoon or a typhoon. Also, drownings are a way that water kills people. Overhydration and dehydration. Waterborne diseases like giardia and typhoid. And water contaminants like lead. Mm. Right now in our country, in Flint, Michigan, the water supply to Flint, Michigan has been contaminated with high levels of lead. And so the people that live in this town right now are being exposed to lead and potential lead poisoning. And lead poisoning is when uh, a high level of lead gets into the body over time. And this affects everybody, but mainly children under the age of six because they're growing and it affects the brains more than any other organ. So this is a very difficult situation. I was thinking the other day, you know, when, when parents got the call from Sandy Hook that their six-year-old daughter or their eight-year-old son was just shot and killed mm. and, and how that changed their lives instantly. Mm. Imagine the call that you get knowing that your child, who is six years old, is drinking lead-contaminated water and may develop a permanent uh, deficit in their brain uh, all sorts of problems can occur. There's no system in the body. You know, we talked about the cardiovascular system. There's all the other systems. No system in the body is immune to lead poisoning, including in the blood where it can affect the hemoglobin. And we talked about how hemoglobin carries oxygen. Mm -hmm. Lead can affect that. So these kids and adults are potentially being poisoned by lead right now from the water supply in Flint, Michigan. And it can be fatal. Can you imagine that phone call, knowing that your child, aside not being shot and killed, but has the potential now that for their life, they're going to be changed. They're going to be developmentally uh, disturbed. They may have seizures or convulsions. Um, a number of other disorders, usually around personality and development and things like that. So this is very bad mm. right now. And I don't want to talk about the political aspects of it or the legal aspects of what happened. Mm -hmm. That will all be resolved. What I want to talk about is the health aspects, because this is Magical Medical Tour, and mm -hmm. this is kind of a public service. So um, just like we did with the end-of-life option bill that was passed, yes. uh, it's very important to have an understanding of your environment. You need to know, each person for the sake of health, needs to know about your water supply in your area, the air you're breathing. And in fact, here in Southern California right now, we're having another tragedy where methane gas is being left out into the atmosphere um, at amazing amounts per, per day right now, which is another uh, environmental catastrophe that has to be dealt with because it also can cause uh, problems in the future for people. So uh, the point here is that the, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, are part of this now, and a lot of health uh, departments are coming in to the aid of the people in Flint, Michigan, to teach them about lead poisoning. This is common around the world, but it's been uh, dealt with, lead poisoning has been dealt with over many years, and there's been a decrease, but it's still very common as an issue in water supplies, in lead pipes, or people that use lead paint in houses. It can get into the water supply, and then people drink it, and now you have lead in your system, and it is bad. So mm -hmm. the message here, basically, for me is be aware of your environment. Be aware of your local water supply, what's in your soil, <clears throat> what's in your air, what's in the things that you're consuming. Because you don't want to get that call 
about yourself or your loved ones that there's a problem. And these problems can be irreparable and irreversible. There are certain things that can be done from a medical point of view. Uh, there are nutritious things, certain vitamins. I don't want to say the vitamins because uh, in order to take these vitamins, they have to be taken specifically at certain times and uh, in certain amounts. Uh, there are certain dietary uh, things that will help such as a low-fat diet rather than a high-fat diet in particular cases. But these are things, once you're aware, and if you have a problem, detection is the important part. So learn about it and get get uh, tested for lead levels. In adults, uh, usually they don't have all the developmental problems, but what they get are peripheral neuropathies, and that means peripheral in the extremities. Neuropathies are things like, uh, numbness or tingling or pain in a foot. So, any questions on that? Mm, um, is is that similar to how mercury affects the body as well? Yeah, uh, they're both heavy metals. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have different effects in different areas, but basically they all uh, make changes in the body that don't allow it to function normally. Like we talked about before with the hemoglobin, picks up the oxygen and carries it to the organs and then picks up the carbon dioxide. If you have lead poisoning, it affects the hemoglobin and it won't be able to pick it up as well. So you have kids that now have uh, developmental disorders and they could develop at another time. So if you drink the water today, you may not develop it for another year. So this is what the families have to deal with right now in Flint, Michigan. They don't know. Some of them don't know if their children who were normal children yesterday are going to uh, develop uh, disorders that are going to uh, affect them for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And they don't know yet how long this has been going for either? They know pretty much. It started almost last year. Uh, the, there were, there was evidence of it and the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency notified, uh, started questioning the governmental areas, the local governmental areas in Flint, Michigan. Uh, and, uh, this is the part that I don't want to get into, but they Mm -hmm. said, oh, no problem. Nothing to worry about. We're taking care of it. They changed the water supply. They had a water supply and they lost the contract with one company. So they went to another uh, area and this area was unprotected. So mm. they've been the whole water supply to the community. And right now they have no water. Everything they have to drink is bottled water and they don't even have bottled water. Uh, this is big in the news right now. Mm-hmm. That's very sad, but hopefully things will happen. And the health agencies are trying to do their part, uh, which I'm very happy about. Mm. So yeah. you ready, ready to move on? I know. (laughs) I know. It's devastating. I thought of that. You know, which phone call would I rather have? Yeah, exactly. You know, the one that's instantly gone or the one that my child that I'm going to have for the rest of their life is now going to suffer with brain disorders and developmental and personality disorders and may be fatal and may end up with seizures, convulsions, et cetera. Because it affects, I mean, because it's water, every part, every organ. Every organ, because we know what goes to every organ. Yes. You drink it in, and it's carried through the arteries and then into the capillaries. Well, the capillaries, yes. Right. Well, we definitely send blessings to all those families and people who are affected. That's uh, oof, That's Absolutely. quite a. Let's it's, let's uh, give them good good energy. Yeah. They'll find balance quickly. <clears throat> Ready uh, for myth takes? Myth takes. So myth takes. Uh, do you want to do the fanfare for us, Christina, the one that we've rehearsed so many times? We have? Well, I don't know. Each, <laughs> each time I we ask We love you, the myth takes. Yay! Yeah. So what category <laughs> do you think we're going to talk about today? Oh, the heart. <laughs> we're going to talk about water. Water. Heart. Yes. How many glasses of water should you drink a day? Well, I know we always hear Growing up, it's eight glasses and eight glasses of water a day. But then that doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> it's a myth. It's a myth. That's why we're talking about it today. Yes. It's all coming together, right? <laughs> so this this myth probably happened about 1945, where a governmental agency uh, did some studies on the human body and said that 
the body needs on a daily basis about eight glasses of fluid. That's the key word, fluid, per day. And fluid includes anything that you eat that might have fluid in it. So fruit might have fluid in it. Lettuce might have fluid in it. Coffee, tea, juice, anything else. So it's the eight glasses of fluid per day. But over time, the word fluid changed to water. Now, I can't actually say that it happened when people started selling bottled water and the bottled water community decided that we need to change it into eight glasses of water per day. Ah. But but it's a myth. You don't necessarily need eight glasses of water per day. However, that being said, Water is extremely important to our bodies, and we need to stay hydrated at all times. And being hydrated means you have to drink an appropriate amount of water, not necessarily eight, but you have to be aware of how much water you're putting out, say through sweat or excretions, urine, bowel movements, things like that. You have to be aware of your thirst. You have to be aware of how much energy you're putting out and exercise and what the environment is like. If you're in an environment, I remember seeing out in the desert uh, in the middle of the summer when it was 120 degrees, there were people putting um, asphalt on the roads with all of that heat around them. Uh, those people needed probably 20 glasses of water per day. But eight glasses on a normal day isn't necessarily what you need. And and what, it's going to matter on what size that individual is, isn't it? Like, I mean, Absolutely. if you're 50 pounds compared to 200 pounds and, right. you know, that's so, a lot of water for a 50-pound person. <laughs> right. So the myth is that you need eight glasses of water. You need about eight glasses of fluid. Water is important. Don't stop drinking water. But you don't have to – if. If if it's a cool day and you're not overheated and you're eating food that has fluids in it and drinking tea, you don't also have to have eight glasses of water. Now, certainly if you have certain types of illnesses, you might need more or you might need less because water, as I said before in the other segment where water can be dangerous, you can actually drink too much water and die from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because it dilutes all of the important chemicals in your body, and then they can't function well. So mm-hmm. that's the myth. And the one myth, myth take. take? One, one myth, myth take? take? Only one? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a myth that I do more than one. <laughs> Actually, when we first started the program, we did a number of them just so that we can get it going. But now I try to do just one at a time due to popular demand. So, so do you have a? Uh, you have a. Uh, a fanfare or a musical theme yet a for music- myth takes? No, not yet. Maybe we'll come up with one this year for 2016. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Very good. After our 200th show, how's that? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. All right, so that's it for today, except for um, a health tip. A health tip, yes. Are you ready for a health tip? Yes, please. Okay. How about the fanfare? Shh, health tip. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Wow, I like that. Okay, here's the health tip. Don't meditate. (laughs) On what? (laughs) Just don't meditate. Now, for those of you who actually do meditate, keep doing it. It's vitally important. And those of you that are thinking about meditating, go for it. It's good. But this is selective. This is for the people who have over the years have heard about meditation and have chosen not to do it. So I would say continue not to meditate. And I tried to figure out why these people don't meditate. So I figured what it is, is that they're picturing a guru of some kind sitting in an altar with incense lit, and they're sitting cross-legged in a full lotus position with fingers in a specific mudra or a hand position, chanting Pali or Sanskrit phrases in the hopes of reaching spiritual enlightenment, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what, And I think that that's part of the reason that people don't meditate. They're not looking for spiritual enlightenment. Uh, it's too much for them. So mm-hmm. what I say is don't meditate. I say meditate. Meta-rate? Meta-rate. So what I want you to do is slow down the rate of your breath. 
Now, remember we talked about the part of the brain that's the autonomic nervous system, and we're going to connect that back again, the medulla oblongata? Yes. Well, that part of the brain controls the breath, and the breath is one of the only parts of the autonomic system you can actually control. You can't really control your temperature. You can't control your pulse, really. You can't control your blood pressure, but you can, for a little while, control your breath. So when you meditate, you can just consciously slow down the rate of your breath. Now, remember, I also said in the conduction of the heart, we're putting this all together now. In the conduction of the heart, it actually comes from the medulla oblongata in the brainstem. So when you start to slow the rate of your breath and you concentrate on it, you can actually slow the rate of your heart too because that's where the pulse comes from. Mm -hmm. And in slowing the rate of your breath and slowing the rate of your pulse, you might even help to lower your blood pressure. So what my suggestion and my health tip for today is, especially if you're taking medications for your heart or your blood pressure, you're willing to take those medications, but you're not willing to meditate. So what I'm saying is each time you take a pill for your heart or your blood pressure, take one minute up to five minutes, and instead of meditating, meditate. Just slow down the rate of your breath and your pulse. And even if you actually don't take medicines for your heart or your blood pressure or anything else, still a good idea to uh, slow down the heart rate, take a few moments. Now, obviously, this is where I would suggest the Wallman metaphor square breath. Mm-hmm. But even if you're not going to do that, don't meditate, meta-rate. Meta-rate. I like mm-hmm. that. I like that. Well, thank you. Yeah. That's, <laughs> but it's so funny the way you... You describe what people think of is like yoga. When you say yoga, they go, oh, pretzel. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the thing. I mean, why don't people meditate? And, it, you know, I just thought maybe that's one of the reasons people don't do it. So it was just part of the process here. So right. don't forget, meditate. So, so, Christina, big day, the element of Chinese element of water. We talked about the circulatory cardiovascular system. We talked about being aware of the environment and how water can be a problem. Uh, we talked about the myth take and we talked about meditate and meditate. What did you learn today? I learned how to introduce um, our health tip. <laughs> Just kidding. That was beautiful. No, yeah. it's, uh, I, I'm fascinated. Glenn, I'm really fascinated. I mean, you know, I, I've heard all these terms and I know that you've come by them before, especially when we've interviewed the cardiologists and things like that. But to actually see the diagrams, I mean, it's very helpful for those of you who are listening to this um, uh, through a podcast. I, I do recommend you actually come online and, and look at these uh, diagrams and these images because it really helped me piece it all together. That um, if I need to explore this area in depth at any time or anyone who might be going through any sort of issues, I would definitely say you've got to watch the show and understand. So you really have the understanding about what is happening at that time, you know, of, of whatever the diagnosis is, um, because all these images were so helpful. Beautiful. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. And, and again, you know, the purpose is junior medical school. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to get people to be aware of their bodies and it's not a mystery and mm-hmm. as we demystify it and you learn more about it and you get stimulated to learn even more you know you pick yes. up a, an anatomy book or you start looking at an app there's no way in the world you're not going to look at many things and if you ever get hurt yes uh, you know you injure something you can go to the app or your anatomy book and look at the area and say wow is this a ligament a tendon a muscle a bone Oh, it's right by the joint. This is the name of the joint. This is the artery. You can learn all sorts of things about Mm -hmm. that. And by doing this, hopefully, we will help people to begin their preparatory medicine program where they try to get in the best optimal health possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And by being in the best optimal health, you have your best chance of preventing illness and injury or getting through them and healing in a much more specific manner. Absolutely. Yes, I agree. I mean, we, we, we have to be able to understand more and more so because 
of how our medical system seems to be so split up right now. <laughs> the That's doctors right. don't have much time to explain in depth. Yeah, and even if they did, it's it's so complex that you're not going to get it in the doctor's office visit because yes. if they just say to you, as soon as you heard the word, well, we see that you have cancer, you don't hear anything else after that. No, no, of course not. And so <laughs> it's moment. important yes. for, as, as we said, the awareness and the consciousness, and that's what it's all about. Absolutely. I'm right with you. Yeah, I know you are, and that's what's great about it. And uh, thank everybody for being part of our show today. Thank you, Yoga Hub. I'd like to thank all of my teachers and healers for taking me on my journey where I am today. Look forward to getting together again on another adventure of Magical Medical Tour as we expand and explore another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy in search of optimal health. (laughs) Thank you, Doc Woolman for taking us on that ride through arteries and capillaries. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and of course, we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support, and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. Please connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman through his website, glennwoolman.com, where I encourage you to learn about his metaphor, Square Breath to slow down that heart rate, to meta-rate. And, of course, do uh, join him on his Facebook page, The Medical Guide. Uh, When you watch or listen to our podcast, it would be wonderful if you would like us, pass the link on to others that you know that will benefit from our shows. We're always grateful for any feedback and comments, suggestions that you might have. Um, Again, you can scroll down on the screen. It doesn't matter how... Like it could be a year from now, a month from now, uh, just type it into the comment box and we'll be sure to um, answer you or give us a call and leave us a message at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Until next time, namaste. Namaste.